NFL defensive tackle and Dominican Sue, who plays for the champion Tampa Bay Bucks, is probably not who you think he is. He's much more. He's more than his past mistakes and has learned from them, proven his critics wrong on and off the field as a man of integrity, work ethic, skill, and yes, intense, dominant physical display on the football field. Like a fish to the water or a bird in the air, Sue is in his element when he's crashing through a wall of giants to track down his target. Quick and nimble to escape his grasp, I can assure you no quarterback wants to be caught in the grips of a 6'4", 300-pound, heat-seeking missile of a man like Sue, who runs the 40-yard dash in 4.98 seconds. And now, after paying his dues for 11 years in the league, finally, Ndamukong Sue gets his win at Super Bowl 55 in a convincing 31-9 victory over the defending champion Chiefs. It's like a tale as old as time. And I promise you'll enjoy getting to know the beauty behind this beast and see him in a very different light. Enjoy. By the way, this first question comes from my 13-year-old son who actually wants to play in the NFL someday and asked Dominican his very first question. Here's the answer. So the advice I would probably give to you is, one, I'd want to understand what position and or what focus you want to be. But uh, if you want to be in the NFL, you got to make sure you get a, a great education because uh, being smart will serve you well in this league or any league. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, our friends at the Dot Store Domains, where you can get your own custom dot store domain to set up your own website to sell products or services. You know, different from any .com or .net or other extension, the dot store extension really gives your customers a destination to shop for your stuff. Think about your domain name dot store. It instantly tells people your website is a store and lets your website and URL do the marketing for you. I tried it out myself and I'm loving it. I set up my own dot store with Behind the Brand, it's behindthebrand.store, and you can find some of my favorite books from best-selling authors who've also been on the show and give me a great deal to sell their books or sell a few copies of their books better than you get on Amazon. You can get your own .store domain by going to my special link at bit.ly forward slash your custom store. That's http colon forward slash forward slash bit.ly forward slash your custom store. Just go to bit.ly forward slash your custom store and you can check it out. Now let's get into the episode. I'm Indomitian Sue, entrepreneur, engineer, and football player, and you're watching Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott. Hey, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Today I'm here with the incredible Super Bowl champion, Indomitian Sue. Indomitian, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you, Brian? I usually ask my guests, how did you get this job? <laughs> yes, uh, how did I get this job? Uh, I went to college, uh, enjoyed an amazing time at the University of Nebraska, uh, graduated engineering, construction management specifically, and then uh, I was fortunate enough to be the second overall draft pick to uh, the lovely city of Detroit. Who else was in your um, class that year that was being drafted? Give us some context, what year that was, and who else was uh, in that sort of top five with you? 
Yeah, I was drafted in the 2020, I mean, excuse me, I was drafted in the 2010 draft. Uh, unfortunately, I was not the number one pick, which uh, I was unhappy about, but everything happens for a reason. Um, Sam Bradford was the number one pick. I ended up being number two. And then you had Gerald McCoy, funny enough, uh, went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where that's where I'm at now, or just finished up. And then number three, or number four, excuse me, I believe was Eric Berry. And then number five was an offensive tackle to uh, the Washington football team now. Yeah. Let's go back in the chronology. I want to I wanna maybe come back to that moment of the draft, but let's go back in time uh, to young Dominican. And you're thinking about what? What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a little kid? Wow. Uh, as a little kid, I was fascinated with airplanes. So every time we got on a plane, I was super lucky to go visit my sister in college uh, or go play soccer as a young boy uh, traveling around or even AAU basketball. And we really had the opportunity to, to go into uh, the old days. You got to go into the cockpit and talk to the pilots and see all the different controls and you get the little wings, which was awesome. Uh, I wanted to be a pilot, uh, but moved away from it from a standpoint of kind of getting too big and too tall and people saying, hey, it's a, it's a little tough for you to kind of fit into a cockpit, which uh, funny enough, I was I'm at an older age, got to fly a G3 um, uh, a while, which was fun, but kind of moved away from being the pilot piece and followed in my dad's footsteps. My dad's a mechanical engineer, so it runs in our family being engineers and being on job sites, construction sites, everything. I just got a passion with working with my hands uh, and being involved, being involved uh, with building things from the start to finish. So really took the passion in wanting to be uh, an engineer and went to school with that mindset and, and didn't look back. So did you get influenced? And I ask this question with context because, you know, a lot of people who watch this show, and I don't think it has anything to do with age. I think, you know, a lot of people are mid, mid you know, they're middle age right now and they're thinking about resetting their career because they're either not happy or they've just lost everything. You know, it's a tough time. Or, you know, you're coming right out of college and you're wondering, you know, what should I do with my life? Did you get signals or, like, did your parents try and steer you into a certain path? Like, you know, your dad's an engineer. Do you say, hey, son, you know, this has been great for me. Looks like you've got the brains for this. Uh, I want you to kind of follow my footsteps. Or did he kind of persuade you in one way or the other? Or how did you, how'd you navigate that? No, truthfully, both my parents uh, didn't push me anywhere. And even when my decision came to what university I wanted to go for, playing football and going to school first and foremost. Uh, my mom being a teacher and my dad being an engineer and both of them being from third world countries in uh, Jamaica and Cameroon, they were like, we really don't care what you do, but you're gonna get your education in something. So you're gonna get a degree no matter what. And so uh, that's actually what gave me my decision at the very end as a junior in, in college. My mom said, you got a choice. You can go pro and we're gonna support you but one thing you're gonna do is promise me that you come back and finish this degree. And I said, you know what, I'm not even gonna leave because once I leave, I know I don't have the mindset to wanna come back to school. So I'm gonna stay yeah. another year and finish. And then uh, I finished, and which was the best decision for myself. And it actually helped my draft status. So a win-win all around. So if I, if I was pushed in anything, my mom mandated that I needed to finish my degree. Yeah, aside from the obvious, you know, 
you're a specimen. You know, you have the DNA to play, in, you know, right up there on uh, the defensive line. But, like, aside from that, did you have any other signals like, you know, pro sports was my path versus the academic route or the, or the pure business route? What are the signals were you getting that this was the right choice? Yeah, signals for me uh, from when, when it came to sports was early on in my uh, freshman year, uh, being hurt, being able to sit back and watch a guy named Adam Carricker, who was ended up being, I think, the 10th overall pick to the St. Louis Rams uh, in like the, I want to say the 20 or 2006 draft or 2005 draft, one of the two, uh, being able to work out with him every single day uh, as a young kid, as a freshman, it's like, wow, I can do almost everything he does. Imagine what I, I'm able to do if I take another three or four years and get to his same age. Like, I feel like I can succeed and be beyond where his status was. And really, I had the, the roadmap and then just kind of made it my own. So that was really exciting for myself. But I always had a two-pronged approach. Uh, I wanted to go professional. I wanted to take care of my family from that perspective. Obviously, knowing the what would be afforded to me from uh, a monetary standpoint as well as an exposure standpoint, but then also being able to come back and say, hey, my dad has his own company. I want to come back and add a, uh, add value to his company from an engineering perspective and build on that. And we've been able to do that uh, over the last 10 years of my career, still being a professional football player uh, and still be able to build things and have fun together between me and my dad. And I mean, even now we're getting, we're finishing my house uh, here, in, here in Portland and we're working on HVA systems together and going through different touch-ups in, in our house uh, yeah. that we love, so. That's really cool. I mean, it sounds like you had several different options. It sounds like, the other thing that, that I'm hearing you say too is this, this really important characteristic, which is self-awareness. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you had the awareness enough that, you know, you, you knew you had the brains to go into engineering or build things or maybe even if, uh, you know, things didn't work out with your plan A, you'd, you'd go work with your dad or branch off of that, use that as a springboard. Um, but you're also aware of your, your other talents. Um, talk to me about early sports. Did you always play football? Or did you play Pop Warner and all that stuff or did you play other sports? No, actually, uh, I came out of the womb playing soccer. And I say that because my father playing professional soccer, uh, as we call it, football overseas in Germany, it was a standpoint of the soccer ball was right at my feet day one. And so I, I, I love that sport, just kind of outgrew it from a height and weight standpoint and had more fun playing football. But my ultimate passion was truthfully being able to play basketball. I just wish I was two more inches taller. Uh, I definitely could see myself in the NBA in, uh, and or playing at high levels overseas like one of my best friends. Yeah, that's super cool. Talk to me about your, your, your morning routine. Um, give me an idea of like, maybe like during the season and postseason, like do you have the same kind of re regime? Do you wake up at a certain time? Do you eat a certain thing? Yeah, for my routine on a typical basis, uh, whether I'm in season or off season like I am now, uh, I'm usually up in and, in and around 5.30, 6 o'clock at the latest. Uh, when it's off season like it is now, I try to uh, get up, work out, and then have the rest of the day from probably 8.39 on to be able to do kind of whatever I want to do from a standpoint of business, uh, family stuff, 
and or entrepreneurship um, and being able to learn and, and grasp new concepts. Um, so a little inside of my, my current weeks right now, uh, I wake up in the morning 5.30, finish around 8, 8.30, um, and then kind of move on. And I'm, getting, I'm in an externship right now with uh, a Fortune 50 company in Target and being able to learn a bunch of different things with them, uh, which is super exciting and a lot of fun. And then later on this afternoon, for example, I've got a bunch of real estate meetings uh, from a standpoint of being able to continue to build my portfolio there. And I have a partner that I have a development company with as we continue to expand and make change here in Pacific Northwest and especially in Portland. I want to dig a little bit deeper, unpack that a little bit more on the detail because, I mean, I, I guess I'm speaking for myself too, but I know my audience you know, when you get to that certain age, you can't you can't eat twelve tacos and, and you know stay up till four a.m. and then wake up in the next morning and expect to you know pop right up. Are there any habits, good habits that you've developed that you can maybe speak to to give some advice to people who have a super active lifestyle and are trying to you know they're they're in that hustle mode, but they're also trying to take care of themselves and feel great and. Yeah, for myself, I would say lifestyle habits that I love to be able to focus on is one, getting to bed early, and that's usually around 8.30, 9 o'clock, uh, for sure, sleep by 10, and making sure I'm getting seven to eight hours of sleep, but then also being able to uh, compartmentalize and really just focused on um, time management. Time management is one of the most effective pieces. I, I pride myself on being early, at the same time being able to be uh, on point and prepared for things each and every single day. And so having built a team, uh, as well as my lovely wife who takes great care of me, and just being able to make sure I, I can execute at a high level. And being able to, at the same time, I think it's important to be able to say no when you can't do certain things and not stretch your, your, your time thin. I think it's important, it's a combination of those different pieces, but if I would pick any specific pieces uh, out of kind of that whole uh, body of, of, of lifestyle changes, lifestyle focuses I have, I'd probably say uh, compartmentalizing things as well as being able to have great time management. Yeah, do you have a, an assistant or like, is your phone your assistant? Like who, does someone manage your time for you? I, I'm very uh, on my own with things, but I do have uh, an assistant that helps me with organizing different things uh, and being able to be on time and, and just follow-ups and, and making sure uh, I'm on point with things. So that it, it's definitely good to have help, and it, it always, as you especially move into the business world, it's super important to just be organized and have things in place and be able to delegate things, uh, especially things that you uh, know can be handled on, on, on a different basis. Yeah. Are you going into your 12th season or 11th season? Just finished my 11th season, so uh, going into my 12th. Excited about it. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to the early, early seasons and, and stay on habits for a second. So what mm -hmm. are some of the bad habits or things that you sort of got rid of in your life? Maybe you can see where I'm going with this. You know, a lot of people struggle with just, you know, sustainability. And, you know, I'm thinking about one of your teammates, uh, number 12, you know, who has a very disciplined diet regimen, you know, he's 40 something, right? And um, he's got to take care of himself. So what are some of these early habits that you got rid of in order to, you know, be at the top of your game, play at high level? 
Yeah, I would say early habits that I kind of got rid of would be simple things of just eating nonsense all the time, uh, not focusing on my body and being diligent when it comes to workouts and or ancillary pieces, uh, different modalities to take care of my health. Uh, and then probably like more or less on the diet and nutrition side of things, uh, just making a, a, a good investment in having a private chef uh, and one that understands like what quality food is um, yeah. and being able to maneuver between multiple different types of diets. And then I owe a lot of credit to my performance director that I have. And you speak of teams, just being able to build a team that's been consistent with myself from, I mean, early days in Detroit, from a physical therapist to my performance director that I speak to every single day and I'm here with in the off season every single day and then the private chef, and then obviously my amazing wife, like I said, uh, who's been with me for a long period of time. Uh, just that overall collective group has been what's allowed me to play at a high level and, and really just get better through the years. Yeah, so what, so walk me through it. What are you having for breakfast? What are you having for lunch? What do you eat for dinner? Like, are you like carnivore? Are you eating meat? Are you a total vegetarian? What are you eating? So right now I'm actually on a pescatarian diet uh, and so each off season kind of we take the opportunity to kind of go and try different diets, see how my body uh, uh, reacts and adjusts. Uh, you don't want to do this in season because obviously it's all about high performance. Um, but from a, from a diet perspective, uh, we do blood work to understand what things that I'm intolerable to. Uh, yeah. And then also we look at uh, your analysis where you look at, look at different things and what your body needs and doesn't need. Hydration and all that. Hydration is always a big, big piece, uh, whether it's uh, spring water or filtered water, being able to mix between both of those. Uh, and so from my perspective, it's, it's just continuing to evolve and find different ways to find that extra half a percent or extra percent that I can get better at. Uh, yeah. and fine-tuning it because we've got an amazing program and it's probably anywhere from 97, 98% dialed in, but there's always a 2 to 3% that you can uh, find better and that's what we, we work on in the off-season. Yeah. I, do you take vitamins, for example? Yeah, daily vitamins, no question, uh, and, and just really just being able to work with a naturopath as well, looking at the natural ways to, to feed your body and get your body uh, at, to, its, to its optimal levels. Does any of this come from the team? For someone who doesn't know inside the league, does the team dictate, you know, you gotta eat this, you gotta do that, or is it, is it all gonna come individually? That's actually a great question, and none of it actually comes from the team. All of my team members that I work with and support me uh, and my family are all outside sources from the team. And I think it's, uh, as I've gotten into, first got into the league and some of my early on experiences, uh, I noticed that I needed to really build a team outside of uh, my everyday team. One, because it needs to be solely focused on myself and dialing it that in. And there's, at any given time, there's 53 guys to 90 guys on a football team. So be able to get yeah. that individual access and focus, even though you may be a top guy, um, it's, it's very difficult in the, in the team setting. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things I've felt for a long time, just you know, as a non-professional athlete, just as a human being thinking, isn't it so strange that we're still taking sort of generic medicine that is, you know, um, 
medicine that has all of these disclaimers like you know if you take it you know your ears might fall off or you know it could stunt your growth it's like what i can't i can't wait for the day when we have like this really personalized customized either to our biology or to our dna specifically and it just gets so dialed in that it's like super hyper specific yeah i think there's some amazing companies uh on an entrepreneurship side of things that i've been able to work with and, and connect with that, that really focus on some of those different pieces. But I think it's also people not being able to just go with kind of the social norm and just say, hey, I'm going to do what everybody else is doing. Let's Everybody's body is individually different than even though you may come from the same parents. I, I've got the same, I got an older sister, we got the same exact parents, but our DNA is drastically different in different ways. One, because we're boy and girl, but then two, there's so many different things that she's dealing with, different things I'm dealing with. And yeah. I wouldn't say there's a wrong path, whether to go to the naturopathic way or the Western medicine way or Eastern medicine or everything. It's just finding what's best for you as an individual and making that all encompassing and taking the time to do that. Uh, it's really people, uh, I would say you got to take the time to go in and dive into those things. Yeah. If I could just add my two cents. One of the best things I have done in my life, and I started it way too late, is just to get a a blood test every single year just as a benchmark just to see you know have my hormones changed or you know our levels and certain you know just check my levels uh, I wish I'd been doing that since my 20s and then I could have markers like where I was in my 20s versus now where I am sort of middle age I regret doing you know regret not doing that I wish I'd done that every single year but um, point taken I like that <clears throat> let's shift gears back to that uh, draft day Back to 2010. Um, what is going through your mind when you're thinking about where you're going to end up? You know, Detroit is a fantastic city. Um, they've got a legacy team. Uh, you know, just like many of the teams in the NFL. But what's going through your mind? Are you thinking, you know, I'm coming into a program that hasn't won in a long time. I'm going to change. I'm going to be the game changer here. You know, like, give us... Give us some context of what's going through your mind. Yeah, for sure. Uh, context when it comes to me being drafted in 2010, that spring, uh, I was penciled in to be a top five pick. And as we got closer, it went to a top three pick. So the three teams were St. Louis at the time, Detroit, uh, and then obviously uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which was very interesting. Uh, I, I've never been to the South, so I had an affinity to want to go check out uh, Tampa. Took a visit there, uh, took a visit also to Detroit and St. Louis. And really, when it all came down to it, I'm competitive. So I wanted to be number one overall, no matter what it was. And so kind of hearing the whispers in the wind and saying they're most likely gonna take the quarterback uh, was a little frustrating. And then uh, a lot of people don't know, Tampa actually asked me to uh, drop down a pick to, to come to them and I said, uh, I'm not going to do that, but what you can do because you have a bunch of extra picks, because I think they had like maybe 10 picks in the draft, you can give up some of your picks and come get me, no question. Uh, and so I didn't know behind the scenes that Detroit was like, we know that St. Louis isn't going to pick you, they're going to do the quarterback, and we're not letting you get past two. So uh, once that all came to fruition on, on draft day, being in New York with my family and friends, which was an amazing and, and, and a great blessing to be able to encounter that. So I feel bad for the guys in this day and age that won't experience that. 
but uh, got drafted and really was like, I see all the terrible things about Detroit and hear all the terrible things about it, especially with the, the downturns that have gone by and happened in, in the autom automotive industry. But you know what, everything happens for a reason. Let me go into this city with open eyes, open ears and open arms. And really that's what was given, received, that's how I was received, in open arms from the city of Detroit. And so, like you said earlier, having that mindset of being able to say, hey, I wanna be a difference maker. They got some great pieces already, Calvin Johnson, uh, Matthew Stafford, a couple other guys. Let me be a linchpin uh, to be able to come in and change this organization. And I think I was able to do that in some aspects and not alone. Uh, I think they also did some other great things with making some different changes. And we did an amazing job in 2014, 2011, getting to the playoffs and had some rough years in there in and between, especially my first year. But uh, we definitely tried to change the tempo and, and the, the, the mindset for that uh, organization yeah. and not being a losing organization. You, you've had your share of uh, rough times. You've gone through it. The media has tried to chew you up and spit you out a bit too. Let's talk about that. How how did you manage that? Let's talk about let's talk about some of the hard times, some of the hard things you had to do early on. Yeah, some of the hard times, and, and you're 100 percent right. And and some of it due to my own doing, but then also I believe a lot of the narratives uh, were not necessarily fair. And, and like you said, the media tried to chew me up and spit me out, but I had to be true to who I am and true to who. Uh, my parents were brought up as a strong uh, young black man in America. And so for myself, I looked at it from a standpoint of there's always trials and tribulations, but if you can't uh, withstand those things and, and handle them, they most likely wouldn't be put in your life. And so I just put my head down, focused on the things that I knew I needed to focus on, compartmentalize the things that I could control and just really move forward. And I had a, a strong family base set gave it to me super raw and truthfully, um, very tough times, but having them with me that throughout those pieces pushed me along to get to where I am right now. And being consistent to who you are and working through all those different pieces and understanding that you're still an amazing human being that you can one, beat these things and become a champion, let alone even more important, a, a great human being. I mean, I, I, as I was watching from the outside in, it seems like you were trying, uh, people were trying to label you as a bully or, a, you know, a brute, you know, or uh, how would you describe it? What, what, was, what were you going through at the time? Kind of looking at it from a standpoint, in the, in the league, there's always been a, a big focus of, there's a pretty boy of the league, and then you have kind of, the mean, gritty, defensive guy in the league, and then you have like the the staple human being of who the league is, and and I would say even in this day and age, uh, kind of that main person has been from a defense perspective, as of late, it's been Aaron Donald from kind of the pretty boys, kind of the the Aaron Rodgers, the Tom Brady type guys, and then who you want to be the staple of the league, especially for up and coming, is like the Mahomes of, of the league. And so I was on that, that defensive side, obviously based on being, being a defensive guy, but then also uh, 
some of the things that encountered and me being super physical, hitting Jay Cutler as hard as I can, even though it was a legal hit uh, and whatnot, it was, I was just kind of pictured in that, in that mindset and they kind of ran with it, which is great from a media and marketing standpoint. And I'll never forget this. Truthfully, this, it was an article that came out, uh, when we were right before he played, uh, Denver and Tim Tebow, it was the saint and then, and the devil. And that was, I was the devil. So it, it was super interesting to see how those different things kind of, uh, transpired and, and, and I think probably the best advice that I ever got was from Phil Knight. Um, and when it came to like a media marketing and obviously Nike is a, an amazing engine, you look at it from standpoint, you continue to be who you are, do move smartly, but take advantage of this media attention and your face that's getting out there. And you, you change the narrative narrative of it. And that's really what I was fortunate enough to do and, and have some strong people that give me great advice. And Nike was a big part of that. Yeah. So how did you change the narrative from being, you know, people would try to label you as a dirty player or, you know, I can see the whole, you know, good versus evil, you know, especially if it's if you're on the D line and you're trying to attack the pretty boy quarterback um, and take him down, you know, um, that that narrative makes sense. But like to and, and, you know, you have you're a physical player, let's face it, and you're a physical force. It's like, you know, you sort of. You can't help it. It's like a bull in the china shop. It's going to knock down a, a teapot or two. Uh, but at the same time, they tried to label you as this dirty player and, you know, with a temper, hot temper and un, uh, out of control. And so how did you change that and take control of it? I, I, I truthfully embrace the fact of being physical and dominant and change the narrative from the standpoint of being consistent to who I am and playing yeah. a very physical sport and imposing my will each and every single time that I had the opportunity to, whether it was a quarterback or running back or whatever it may be, but then being able to change the narrative, a lot of people that aren't, are maybe troubled or having difficult times and uh, you can kind of see their character isn't, isn't the best, that spills into the, into the off-field aspects. For me, that never spilled off to the off-field aspects. And so you could never say, this person's dirty, he's a bad person, because off the football field and in any other element you put me in, I'm a strong, smart, and articulate human being that is continuing to do a lot of good things in this world and taking care of their business. So you can't really, the narrative and every, how everybody spoke about me just wasn't quite matching up. So, so let's go back to the Indominus Sioux brand. You know, this show is called Behind the Brand. I talk a lot about brand and branding. Um, what is what is your brand? How would you describe it? Uh, my brand is very interesting. And from a standpoint of I've been super silent about my brand and been very quiet about my brand. Um, Why? The reason being, I'm just I'm a natural introvert and I'm not big on talking about myself. And I've also <laughs> been uh, a person that just likes to move in a stealth manner and really just kind of let my actions speak for, for themselves. And so when it comes to uh, philanthropic endeavors or even business and even sports, like sports, I'm gonna let my play speak for it. Uh, philanthropic pieces, I'll let other people talk about it. And when it's brought to me, then I'll say yes or no and kind of leave it at that because I don't want to take 
great pride in something that I wanted to just do out of the goodness, goodness of my heart or my family's heart with our family foundation. Um, and so, and then even from a business perspective, I've been a little bit more open about it, but not from a standpoint of boastful and just saying, yes, I'm working with this group and being able to connect the dots. So it's a little bit more out there, but I'm not a self promoter by any means. So it's been very difficult for me. And over the years, my wife has been done an amazing job to push me uh, and saying it's, 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 it's okay for people to know the good things that you're doing because what it'll allow is for people to jump on board with you and support you in those endeavors and those different pieces. And that's where I've been okay with it. Yeah. Relatable, by the way. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I've just been sitting there. You know, I have one of those. You Have you heard of the RBF, you know, the resting you-know-what face? Like, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big, huge guy like you are, but I'll be sitting there, and I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and said, are you okay? Are you mad? <laughs> and be like, no, I'm just, I'm just in my head. I'm just thinking, you know, I'm quiet. Um, very relatable. Uh, are you often misunderstood? Do you, does that happen to you? I think I'm, I, I think misunderstood is fair in some aspects, but I would also say being, some people not taking the time to get to know me uh, because something I care about or choose to care about, I go and take the time to get to know that person and or find out information. And so that's where I would say people have to take the time to get to know me uh, because of being an introvert and being able to relate to those people that you're not going to be open and, and, and say, here's an open door, come talk to me and do whatever you want to. At the same time, uh, I think it's also uh, people have to be unbiased and not be uh, biased when it comes to standpoint of saying, all right, I just saw one thing about you and that's how I'm going to label you versus saying, all right, let me look at a couple more other pieces. Let me Google you or, or, or whatever it may be and say, oh, there's little more depth to this person versus just saying oh it's the one thing that i saw yeah how about like with uh you know football cliches you know the linemen don't get as much respect as the other glory positions but like do you get do you get misunderstood in that respect like oh he's just the whatever guy fell in the blank and then you have to go out and and prove them wrong? So that's interesting. Uh, from a football perspective, I've actually been, I'd say I'm pretty fortunate from the standpoint of being able to have a lot of limelight uh, and or awareness brought to me uh, because of my play and, and being an interior guy, uh, I would say I'm, I'm not like to most typical interior guys and have been able to get a, uh, a handful of accolades uh, and more to whereas it's more the outside linebackers or linebackers or corners that kind of receive those things. I've been able to, like I said, been very blessed and fortunate uh, to where that hadn't been the case for me. But also I think that's due to hard work. Well, and maybe explain for people who don't know football, and, and I probably just know enough to be dangerous, but like, tell us how complex. I mean, let's go back to the Super Bowl. Uh, and by the way, congratulations. Uh, Much appreciated. Thank you. I, I can't even imagine, you know, 
your whole career, right? You're waiting for this pinnacle moment. You made Pro Bowl, and you made, you have all these other, and then finally you win the big game, and it's like, you know, it must be amazing, especially in your 11th year, right? Yeah, in my 11th year to win the Super Bowl, uh, man, it was a sigh of relief and, and a ton of enjoyment, uh, and really great honor uh, to the overall career that I've been able to establish and the people that have been along the ride with me, for them to be honored and enjoyed uh, especially after being in 2018, 2019 season and going to the Super Bowl and losing by, I think it was like seven points and, and having an, a dominant de uh, defensive performance except for one touchdown. So for me, uh, it was amazing, and especially in the fashion that we won, dominating on defense, uh, the game plan solely put on us up front, and me being a linchpin and a part of that, it, it, it felt amazing to, to be able to win that. Explain to people who don't know, like, how complex. I mean, you, I think, you know, you look at the, the linemen and you go, oh, you know, all you got to do is just basically get in someone's way or get to the quarterback or tackle the, the running back. But, like, kind of break down how complex. Like, even the style of play that the coach came up with for you guys was very unorthodox, right? Like, you, you, you sort of flipped the script on Mahomes and, and gang. But talk about how complex the thinking and, and all, all that had to go into the actual execution. Definitely complex from the standpoint of, uh, like you said, we ran a Tampa 2 system, which, which is two high safeties. And really what that means in the, in the run game is that you have a very light box where it's only a six-man box, which is a 4D lineman and two linebackers will have to stop the run. And so that puts a lot of pressure on the defensive linemen and especially the interior guys to stop the run and then additionally when you stop the run and move to the passing game it's only four guys that have to go and stop or usually going to go against five offensive linemen uh, maybe a tight end that's chipping a running back that's chipping and then you've got a super athletic quarterback that's running all over the field uh, trying to throw the ball down the field and I think we did an amazing job with that but the studying of the game of football is not as simple as everybody thinks. It's not just lining up out there and getting off the ball. Uh, there's a lot of things that, one, you have to understand, we, as a defense, I mean, we go into any, any particular game with anywhere from 60 to 70 different plays that we have to memorize and be able to know, and, and then off of those plays, we have checks and, and adjustments that we have. But then also, um, as a veteran and as I've gotten older in this league and, and really it started earlier on because I had a great guy named Kyle Vandenbosch that showed me how to watch film. I'm looking for certain triggers, so I'm watching hours upon hours of film of offensive linemen, backup offensive linemen, and then looking at the tight ends uh, in case I got to cover one of them in, 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 in a drop coverage when I have to drop. So it's, it's super complicated and not as easy as people may think. Yeah. I had played high school football. I remember watching those films. But like, help us understand, like, what are you watching when you're watching those films? Are you watching like feet? Are you watching hands? Are you watching plays? Are you trying to memorize plays and like formations? What are you looking at when you watch film? Some of the, some of the things that I'm looking for are a little secretive, uh, so I'll keep those away. But just give you a broader, broader view of, of things that I'm watching. Formations primarily, uh, tendencies they like to do out of certain personnel. So yeah. personnel, as we call it, is uh, one back, one tight end. Uh, and then you go 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. Yeah. 
they like to run certain plays, uh, and then they also like to uh, do certain things out of different formations. And uh, one piece you may, some people may understand is you may have uh, trips to one side, and you have a single receiver depending on what the formation is to the other side. And if they're in trips formation, they may want to run certain routes. So if I'm dropping in coverage, I have to know who the number three guy is. And so he may start as number three, uh, which is the closest receiver into the line of scrim or to the to the line. But the number two receiver may come in and they switch positions. So it's things like that you all have to kind of figure out and be able to uh, have different nuances that as they like to put in certain players to get take advantage of defensive players. Uh, those are the things you, you watch for. And we had two weeks to watch. Uh, so it was, it was helpful in that manner leading up to the Super Bowl. You got to respect Mahomes, too, because he actually gave you guys props. And I think he was talking to you specifically many times because you, you had his number that game for sure. But what did you learn about him before the game about some of his tendencies? Like, did he roll out a certain way, you know, 50% of the time? Or like, what did you learn about him to sort of, I mean, you, ha you had it dialed, man. Yeah, I've got a lot of respects for Mahomes, especially going through that game and, and playing him the second time around. But we definitely learned a lot from playing them the first time around earlier on. I think it was maybe like week 13 or 14 uh, of the season. And one of the things that we learned, but also is consistent with most quarterbacks, is when they roll to their, roll to their left and get forced to their left, it's very difficult for them to set up and throw the ball across their body. So that was one of our focuses to get him to move in that direction. Yeah, so you were pushing to the left. Yeah, exactly. Get him off his spot and and make him have to make very difficult throws. But you can see yeah. he's very talented and he has the ability to do that, but it's hard to do that when you're when you're putting him into the dirt. <laughs> And and that showed. I mean, he was sometimes he was completely uh, horizontal throwing. It was incredible, you know, like the angles that he had to throw. But you're going to have less consistency, less success when you're either on your toes, flying in the air, like you said, on your back in the dirt. Um, I want to go back to branding for a second. Uh, back to your friend Phil Knight and Nike. Um, a lot of people are, are thinking about building their own brand or maybe they have an existing brand right now. And, and one of the examples that I've heard, which is really good, uh, I heard from one of my mentors, Seth Godin, he talked about, you know, how do you know whether or not you have a brand? And he said, you know, if you go into any hotel like uh, Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, and I go to these hotels all the time, they're great hotels, he says, but, you know, go to the carpet and then look down at the carpet and see if you can understand like what hotel you're in. He goes, I'll bet you that you don't know where you're at. And so if you, if you can't really understand the brand from, you know, the essence of where you're at, you may not have a brand. You might just have a logo. Uh, contrast that with if Nike built a hotel, we can sort of look, you know, understand the look and the feel of what it might be like, right? It's very distinctive. And, and so, you know, the personal brand is is super important to build but how what advice would you give to people who are thinking about you know building their brand and you know even if they're introverted like us you know you and I are introverts uh, we share that in common what advice do you have about people who are trying to build that brand and be more distinctive yeah I would say if uh, giving advice to somebody who wants to build their own brand and from my perspective it's you got to be authentic to it uh, and then being authentic to it, that will ooze out to what 
people view. And so from my perspective, as you're authentic to all these different pieces and building your brand, uh, it will shape and mold into itself and it'll become one of a kind. And people will then say, all right, I, I know that and who this brand really is distinctive. And so when I look at it from a perspective, you take Nike, their brand is being cutting cutting edge and being forward thinking and being able to be the leader in a lot of space. And that's where, from my perspective, uh, I've always wanted to have and be respected in, in, in a manner of not necessarily um, being like every other person, it's being able to be different and not being afraid to be different. And yeah. I think that's where you're, you're able to separate yourself uh, from a brand perspective. You may be in the same silo, you may be a CPG brand, but what differentiates you, differentiates you from all these other brands and what makes you stand out? And that's not a being afraid to be different in your own particular right. So how does your philanthropy uh, fold into your brand? How's that fit in? Because you're, you're building houses um, mm -hmm. for people who need it, but it's not exactly low-income houses. Explain what it is and how that sort of graphs into your brand. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, truthfully, I think in my particular brand, uh, when it comes to uh, building and, and, and changing the game from a standpoint of low-income housing, I think it's important to, to have low-income housing and be able to take pe care of people from a standpoint of that may be less fortunate or, or need a helping hand. But I've always looked at it from a perspective of saying, how can I take action and, and give somebody a helping hand but then propel them to get to another level to where they can be self-sustaining, but then, then they can turn around and be able to help somebody else uh, and, and show their examples. And so that's really kind of how I grew up. And, and really it was from a standpoint of saying, hey, somebody showed me and gave me everything I needed to be successful, and then I became successful on my own. Now, with my success, I can pass along that torch and say, hey, I don't need this torch anymore because I've created my own. Here's your own, here's a torch for you. You take it, use me as a stepping stool to better yourself. And then it's not necessarily a requirement, but you would hope that person would then say, hey, now I'm going, I'm gonna give back and do that. So that's where this housing YBA, uh, YBP has come into uh, to play where it's young black professionals who come out of college, uh, it's a tough time because you're getting probably your, your lowest value monetarily from your, uh, from your job. And one of the last things I think those people shouldn't have to worry about is, is having a, a roof over their head and at an expensive price. So it's kind of the reverse on like Section 8 or low-income housing or affordable housing. It's for professionals that need a stepping stone. They're gonna live here for a short period of time or a good period of time, and then they'll be able to move on as they move up in their companies and then kind of get the American dream of saying, all right, now I can go buy a house and, and have my family and, and move into a neighborhood. Uh, but also I'm close to the urban core where my everyday job is versus having to commute and extra costs to be an hour out because that's the only thing I can afford. Yeah. I love the model. It reminds me of that, you know, give a man a fish, right? Feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime kind of idea, but also this idea of, of paying it forward. So how does it work? How does someone qualify for it? And, and where is it happening? Is it just in the Oregon area? 
Right now, it's just in the Portland area, and we're in the process of bringing it all online and working with nonprofits. Um, there's some amazing, amazing nonprofits as well as grant uh, programs here in the Portland area that we're all partnering with. And we believe at, at some point in time this be, can become a nationwide thing. We believe that we have potentially cracked the code of being able to kind of uh, not necessarily eliminate, but be able to change the game when it comes to housing. And as you, you look at the pandemic that we're going through, uh, a lot of construction is stopping in the Pacific Northwest and around the country because it's so difficult to be able to do those things uh, and, and develop. So being able to do that and be able to kind of uh, subsidize housing for young professionals to get back into the workforce is very, very important. And, and I think that's how our economy will bounce back. And it's very creative to how we can pass on the savings as, as investors and developers and really we're passing it on to the to the, the tenants from a standpoint of we don't have to because we get breaks and 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 taxes or whatever it may be we can pass those things on to those individuals and everybody kind of has a win-win situation yeah kind of it sounds a little bit like the we work model where instead of building offices for people to come work, co-work in you're building this house or you know or it's maybe like executive housing where like while you're working for that company you can stay in those uh, facilities, whether it's apartments or homes or whatever, and then, you know, as they get promoted or as they get their feet underneath them, whatever, they move on and the next group comes in, you sort of giving people a little boost when they need it. And you're around your peers where you're, you can start to collaborate as, as a unit and work together. So you may have an architect, you may have an engineer, you may have all these different particular people that are in, in, in young professionals and they find ways to work together because they're all co, it's kind of not, not co-living, but it, they're all mingled in, in a building together to where they all have positive aspirations to continue to grow and work together. Yeah. Yeah. It's a community. Yeah. So where can people find that? How can they find out more about it? Uh, we're rolling it out right now, uh, and we'll have uh, a lot of documentation on our website here shortly uh, as things get, get into fine print. So we'll be able to do that via hmsdevelopments.com. My final question is, what are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? I'm not afraid of it, but having kids is going to be a massive step as I'm watching these birthing classes and undertaking this piece. <laughs> it's got me a little, uh, a little, not, I'll, I'll say it, it's got me a little shook. Uh, it's gonna, I know it's gonna be a lot of work, but many other people have had a lot of success and I look forward to having that same success and more. I mean, we were just sitting back, you know, <laughs> chopping it up, reminiscing about the good old days and all that, <laughs> you know, tracking my roots. Where I came from and where I'm going. But like I say, man, always said it. It's not about the destination. It's all about the journey. Ain't nothing changed but the weather. The dangling carrot that hang from the rear view uh -huh. Your dreams in the past ain't nowhere near you Backseat drivers got nothing but two cents Shotgun riders too biased, they all liars I should get an A for effort, I'm too tired But I'm never giving up, that's why I'm kinda admired Role model, like it or not, I gotta play it Sugarcoat the rhyme sometimes, but still say